to the show. Hope you're all having a great week so far. So we are taking a short break for the next few weeks, but fear not. We have some wonderful episodes to share with you. What we're doing is we went back and we found some of our listener favorites, some of our best podcasts, some of your favorite episodes, and we are polishing those up and um, sharing those again with you. So you will hear those over the next couple of weeks, and we hope you get to enjoy them if you have not heard them already. So thanks for listening. On today's Encore presentation, I have Stacy London. She is the former host of What Not to Wear, as well as the current CEO of the State of Menopause. We talk about her life and her work, her journey of self-awareness, and how we can accept our own evolutions. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I feel so excited to have this conversation with you. I'm a big fan and uh, this just couldn't be a better time to have it. I wanted to first start with just kind of getting an understanding of how did you get started in your career? You're a stylist by, by trade. How did you get started? Well, I was very lucky. I got a job at Vogue as a fashion assistant straight out of college. Um, and sort of worked my way up in magazines till I was the senior fashion editor at Mademoiselle magazine, May She Rest. Very, I loved that magazine. I hope someday they bring it back. Then I got fired and I spent a year trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and then auditioned for some show that I didn't really understand and didn't really know whether it was BBC or TLC or ABC or something with a C. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, 11 years later, uh, I had been on What Not to Wear that entire time, which led to a ton of opportunities. And and I got to be the brand spokesperson for, you know, companies like Pantene and Lee Jeans and Woolite and, and things like that. And it was... Um, It was an incredibly interesting journey. You know, I really, I will say that after What Not to Wear, I took about a year to work on a talk show that that was never made, sadly. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I went on to do Love, Luster, Run, which was a different type of transformation show. Um, And then about like 2016, I started to experience like real burnout. Um, It started just as like, I didn't want to get off the couch. And then it became health issues like I had to have pretty extensive spine Mm -hmm. surgery, also led to both like physical rehab and real psychological depression. I started perimenopause and then my father got sick and he passed away. That sort of cut me off at the knees. Mm -hmm. And I really, I really, I, I started to think a lot about mental health. And I started to think about sort of what was happening to me. I turned 50. A lot of what I think is sort of what I would call an existential crisis started to take place for me. For me, there was a real sense of identity crisis, loss of agency in my own life, this sense that I I was losing my, you know, my identity. But what wound up happening for me was the pandemic, Right. Mm-hmm. And we all we all at the pandemic happened to all of us. But what yeah. happened uh, during the pandemic for me was this real mind shift about where I wanted to go in terms of what was my kernel of truth. Right. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do more television shows and I wanted to do them about women in middle age. 
mm-hmm. really because I think it is an underserved community and because there's a lot to do there in terms of what transformation means. Mm-hmm. It's not just style. There were so many things that I was thinking about, like pivoting careers or what it's like to be our age and raise kids and have to deal with elder care or lose a parent or empty nesting and losing a parent. And that that real kind of bizarre thing that happens in middle age where you start to feel completely crazy, right? I mean, really like on so many different levels, physically, psychologically, and in in some senses, I think you can really be demoralized by this time of life and this sense of kind of losing cultural relevancy. And you don't have to be on a television show or or not right. be on a television show to feel that. There was this moment where um, a company called Arfa started a brand called State of Menopause that I became a beta tester for, me and a hundred different women, about the kinds of products that we would want to see for perimenopausal and menopausal women. Mm-hmm. And I was a very noisy beta tester. I had a lot to say about the products, about the packaging, mm-hmm. <laughs> about the messaging. And when the parent company decided to pivot and go in a different direction, they had two brands that they didn't want to see orphaned. And the, the mm-hmm. other one was was is an incredible brand. It's called Hiki, but it's very Gen Z oriented. It's very, right. you know, about genderless deodorant. And, yeah. and for, if I'm being frank, like I'll use secret or old spice or, or something mm-hmm. natural. Like, you know, to me, that 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 didn't speak to me in the same way. Mm-hmm. Menopause did. And the yeah. opportunity to acquire the company as a standalone company was something that I went into very deep discussions with the founders about. And I, mm-hmm. I truly felt this sense of why is this happening now? For me, I had to go back to like, what is my kernel of truth? What has been the one thing that has run through my entire career as a magazine editor, as a style presenter, as a style expert, is raising other people's sense of self-esteem, self-acceptance, mm-hmm. but even more importantly, mm-hmm. sense of self. I really felt in my own sense of growth, there is this moment for this moment in time that feels so unstable. Mm -hmm. And I could actually, with this choice to take over the company, use it to show women our age that A, a career pivot is possible and continue to uphold the values that you hold as an individual or that you've held throughout your career. Certainly when you gain some sort of audience in the public eye, that you can lead them in a different direction. Now that's not to say I don't love style. Of course I love style. And that's part of what our, our, you know, manifesto or mantras are at the company. Um, but for me, it was really this sense of what can I do where I am to talk to the people I want to talk to. And right. that's how this all came about. Wow. That was, a, there's a lot there. And I want to unpack mm-hmm. some of it because you said so many things that had like questions. I'm, I'm just, but there's one that's, that keeps coming to me. You have a strong sense of self-awareness, right? You ha- When you said, I had to go back and think about what was that consistent theme? This is something we hear from women that all the time that they struggle with building a sense of self-awareness. So can you talk a little bit about whether do you, does that come naturally to you? Do you have yeah. a practice for self-awareness? How do you develop that? Because to me, that is the starting point of everything else. You yeah. have to be plugged in to what's going on with you in order for you to, to do the things that you want to do with your life. So how do, how do you do that? 
It's such a great question. And and I wish there was a simple answer. You know, self-awareness is a journey like any other. And if I'm really being honest, I mean, look, I've been in therapy for lots of my life, you know, and I think that that is very helpful for some people. And if it is something that you can get and is available to you, um, I really recommend it because I think it's important to talk about hard things. Mm-hmm. But But for me, I will say that my self-awareness really started sort of in the middle of what not to wear. Mm -hmm. When I was there, a lot of the sort of negative self-talk started to make me, you know, at first I was like very, very serious about being an expert, right, on television. I was very worried that it would not come off that I was authoritative enough. And Mm -hmm. halfway through, I started to realize like I was, I had no sense of humor about the job, no sense of humor about myself. And yet, I, and I was always sort of beating myself up about what I did right or what I did wrong. But I started to recognize that what we were actually doing on the show was not only just help people sort of see the power of transformation, but do that with a real sense of true compassion. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if I can do this every day for other people, why am I not applying that kind of compassion to myself? If I took that one moment to think, I don't let anybody come on this show and beat themselves up. Why am I doing it to myself? What a what a waste of mental energy yes. when I could put that energy towards really doing what I want to do, which is continue to be compassionate and kind and constructively critical. When I say that, I say constructive criticism is about uh, showing people options, which is something that I've always said. Like if something isn't flattering on you, What's another option to prove my point? That's the same way that I feel about everything. Constructive criticism, compassion, kindness, all of these things engender trust. And you want that in in any phase of your life. You want that with your friends. You want that with your family. You want that for the company that you work for or that you're building. And you certainly want that trust between you and, and any audience that you have. I mean, everybody is their own brand now that, you know, thanks to having an Instagram account. Right. And what is it that you want to put out into the world? And what do you want to get back from that? We we go through a lot of life, I think, with blinders on. We forget that mm-hmm. you know we have our own prejudices, we have our own belief systems that come from uh, you know uh, how we're raised, where we come from. It takes a lot to overcome your own blinders. It takes a lot yeah. to overcome your own set of beliefs that yeah. requires true compassion. And that was part, I mean, that was part and parcel of my job. So I developed and really honed my skills in what compassion means by being on that show. And that is something that then, you know, when you realize that that is something that you're doing for others, if you're giving so much of yourself and not giving to yourself, you recognize what what a gap there is between what you say and what you believe. It's giving yourself some grace, right? And I think as women, we are very hard on ourselves. We are, you know, we are earnest. We want things to be right. We want them to be good. I mean, I always think about what they say about, uh, you know, you talk to hiring leaders in, in big companies and they say that on average, a woman won't apply for a job until she has a hundred percent of the qualifications. Like she's got everything ticking off every box. Whereas men will apply for that job when they have only 60% of the qualifications. I'm surprised it's 60%. And, (laughs) And I will be honest with you, like, you know, this new role for me is very different from what I've done before. How can I do this? I don't know if I can do this. I've never done this before. And then I thought, well, 
no CEO in the world started thinking, I'm a CEO. One, you learn as you go, you play to your strengths, and you create a team of people who Mm. are stronger and smarter than you are. But all of these feelings that I think women are truly taught from such an early age, we are so empathic. We are constantly questioning ourselves. And I actually think that that is something we should lead with. We should lead with what we feel insecure about, talk about those things until we can see them for what they are, which are really ways to pivot into true confidence and understanding of oneself. How have you seen this conversation shifting, right? So we talked a couple of minutes before we were starting and what we have seen is that this is a topic that women, obviously everyone, every woman goes through it at some point. And, and now, you know, when it's not just women who are going through it, right. There's a whole other, there are lots of, of the symptoms that you experience in terms of menopause that, is that there are a lot of people suffering. Why are people not talking about this? What do you think that is? Well, I, I think the kernel of it is shame. Um, but I think the shame around it is that there is such a loss of identity and agency. And yeah. that really does start with re- separating menopause from age because yes. there, unfortunately for people who come to menopause because of age, we lump it in together with this kind of existential crisis, right? Midlife crisis, mm-hmm. if you will. And so menopause becomes almost like the physiological response to how badly we feel about aging. And one, we have to reframe the conversation of aging because when I look at Beverly Cleary, like we were talking about, she's living to be 104. Our lifespans Mm -hmm. are so much longer. And as, and as women, we're going to live a lot longer. Um, You cannot look at, at 50 or 51 or, you know, which is sort of the average age that menopause can start, but it can start as early as 39 and think, well, that's it. I'm done. I'm over. No, our mother's mother's generation, maybe even earlier than that, you had menopause and then you died. For me, it's about reframing one, what these symptoms are and educating and informing a consumer. So she or or they know what they want in terms of a product fit and in terms of what is best for them. Because we do forget in this time of life that we do have agency to choose what we want to do with our health, what we want to do about our health, whether we want holistic medicine or functional medicine or whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. But to take menopause as something, uh, seriously, I, I call it the kind of the final frontier of hormonal health. Mm-hmm. But it's a journey that women have had to deal with their entire lives, whether it's puberty or pregnancy mm-hmm. or post-pregnancy. Right. And we're starting to see so much conversation around women's health generally, right? So, you know, now we're telling young women, don't be embarrassed about getting your period. We're telling uh, pregnant women, you know, it's not just what to expect when you're expecting, it's all the things that you don't expect. And, you know, sort of postpartum depression, things that were sort of hidden from us, Mm -hmm. we are bringing into the light. And a friend of mine said this to me, and I love it. We are, you know, industries across women's health are innovating for the darkness, for the Mm -hmm. things that have not been brought to light, that we need to shine a light on and not just normalize the conversation, but optimize the conversation around so that women feel seen. And I think a lot of this has just been through 
a patriarchal lens of hysterical women or when women have an expiration date. And that's simply because they don't have the same sort of hormonal struggles that we do. And one, you know, I don't want to exclude men from this conversation because I think we all need more compassion and understanding around this issue. But the shame, it can be so overwhelming. The loss of sense of self can be so overwhelming. The yeah. loss of agency, so overwhelming. And this idea that menopause takes away from who you are, to me, is it, it's something we have to change. Well, you know, first of all, I have to tell you, Stacey, that what you when you talked about the hormonal journey that we go on, uh, that women go on in their lifetime, and this is part of the journey, I thought to myself, Yes, that is like, that is the thing. Why is this not something we can talk about? We are allowed to talk about some of the other things, but we're not allowed to talk about this or we haven't been talking about this. I mean, you know, it's sort of like the fact that it it has taken us till 2020 to have a a second commander in chief who is a woman, right? And a woman of color. And when we talk about health, it's not just the fact that women's health is overlooked. I mean, when we talk about women of color, black and brown and indigenous women who are getting absolutely no care that they mm-hmm. at the level that they deserve, I think is really when we have to start looking at all the things we're not talking about. Okay. I want to take a step back if we can and talk yeah. a little bit about you have such a strong cohort of women around you in your life. I know that, you know, those relationships um, seem to be very important to you. What role do women play in your life? Um, I mean, they play every role in my life in every kind of way. I mean, first I should say I have a girlfriend, so romantic is is probably the 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 number one. But I would say in terms of they are my advisors, they are my cheerleaders, they are my supporters, they are my sounding boards, um, they are my safety net. And, you know, the idea that it is an antiquated idea to think of women as competition. And I think that we see that more and more. But certainly Mm -hmm. for our generation, I feel like I was taught, you know, only one woman can win. Only one woman can win the date they want. Only one woman can like marry the person they want. Only one woman gets the job they want. Instead of thinking much more organically about the fact that we are so much more of a force when we are together as opposed to trying to beat each other down. It is the way that we are looking at society and we have been taught and internalized to look at society through this patriarchal lens that what women's behavior is predicated on is somehow less intellectual or in, you know, well-grounded than a man's because we are more empathic, more compassionate and have a full range of emotions that we pull from in all of our communication. To say that that's a weakness is ludicrous. Why do I have to stay in this box? Because you think I should be there. Yes. Well, I'm going to ask you a question right now, but I am curious, what do you think your superpower is? Oh God, I have no idea. I mean, I wish I could fly. (laughs) Um, It would take so much in air travel. Um, I hope that my superpower is being relatable. My mantra is attainable and maintainable. I want you to just be who you are, not who you were, who you are. And to be able to accept evolution of yourself in every incarnation at any moment in your life. 
And if I can impart that kind of message, both through my words and my actions, then I, 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 I would call that a superpower. In terms of when you take that personal agency, when you say to yourself, I have a choice here, yeah. it's unbelievable what that opens up. I think that that's one of your, one of your superpowers is that you have an ability to see outside of what a maybe typical kind of box that somebody puts themselves into how mm. things could be different and how, and then, and then you break down that barrier. I just listening to you talk, that is something that comes across and it's, it's a gift because so many women I know struggle with that. How do you change your perspective about something to say to yourself, I do have the power to change this? Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate that. I think that there are two reasons that I can look at in my own life for that. One is that, you know, I had two pretty successful careers. The idea of always having to stay in one place didn't ever really make sense to me. And also, I think the reason that I, I really did lose my sense of purpose. And I, 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 I can't sort of state that strongly enough. Like I, I did have my midlife crisis, mm-hmm. but I think that it's actually essential to have that crisis in order to have a midlife renaissance. And I think that that crisis is an incredible mo- moment where you can look at your life and say, what am I doing here? Right. You know, there, everybody has taught me my entire life to, um, you know, value things like youth and beauty and wealth. Mm-hmm. Those are not my standards. What are my standards? And mm-hmm. and honestly, the other thing is that I've never checked a box. I've never been the right thing or the right person or cool enough or funny enough or or you know anything enough or, or I was too much of one of those things, right? Or any of those things. Mm-hmm. This idea that you could put me in a box sort of never really worked out for me. I like the idea of just being who I am. And if you like me, great. Then I, you know, we will figure out a wonderful way to communicate. If you are open to sort of the idea of evolution in yourself, you got me as your ally. If you'd like to learn more about our guests this week or how you can join the She Speaks community, check out the links in the show notes. Thanks for listening and looking forward to our next conversation. Thank you for listening. If you're an influencer or a brand that wants to work with us, please feel free to email us at info at Until next time.